God is good, amen? Amen, great time of worship. There's a great boy taking up the offering. Amen. Amen. God is good. Yeah, just to let you know, Tuesday evening here at uh, 7.30, the church going to meet together for prayer. And uh, I believe he's had a great Tuesday evening in prayer uh, last week. And, uh, so so join, in, join in and uh, let's see what God wants to do and encourage each other by being together. It was great when... Um, when Myrtle just spoke from chapter 12 of Acts, because that's where I'm going to preach from this morning. So I really love when that happens. We're not a church that tries to line everything up in a room somewhere midweek and ask God to bless it. We just do what God has asked us to do, and then he blesses it. Amen? And then I love when he just connects dots together during a service, whether through the worship or through um, someone sharing or someone opening the meeting. I just love that stuff. And um, I hope you're all enjoying doing the Bible Project. Could I ask how many people, if you're joining in the Bible Project, of you have? Come on, give me a show of hands. Well done. You can jump right in. We're in um, the book of Acts. It's, it's um, dynamic. It's, um, it's full of adventure. It's, um, it's like watching a tremendous movie, isn't it, the book of Acts, when you're, when you're sitting in and you're looking at all the players that is involved in each chapter, the, 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 the villains, the, the good guys, the, 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 the humanity of it all. It's great. It's like, it's like God's blueprint for the church that God sees. You know, I, I look up, and, and, and I was writing this out a couple of years ago, the, the, like people were getting into a trend, and trends are good, but they can also lead you down paths that God has nothing to do with eventually for you. And I was like, do you remember, Rob, the church that I see? I'm like, I don't want the church that I see. I want the church that God sees. It's like, and you, you come up with all these fancy little words and statements, and it's like, and it still falls short. But when you read the book of Acts, I believe that's the church he sees. The church that he birthed into the world. A church full of power to win others to Jesus. Power to be sustained in troubled times. Power to, to look beyond and move beyond the culture that we live in today. The, the book of Acts is dynamic and powerful. But it also leaves us, I believe, in a, with a predicament. And it, it, it's this predicament. The church will either see the book of Acts in the, in, uh, with the Holy Spirit walking through the church. And what he did through the church. And the church will either look at that and rejoice and say Lord do it again or we will look at it read what it says and come to conclusions because of our own experiences or lack of experiences we will say that's for another time that was for yesteryear the church over the years have created a theology a, a, a belief system that puts the book of Acts into a place that it's not for today it was for the establishing of the early church. And when we got the word of God that we don't need that anymore, we don't need the power, we don't need the, the sustainability of the Holy Spirit through troubled times it, it, now, and which has to be a load of baloney, would you agree? It has to be because I need the Holy Spirit as much as they need the Holy Spirit to sustain me when times are not good. I need the Holy Spirit to give me boldness to even want to stand up here and preach. It gives me the Holy Spirit. Give, I need the Holy Spirit in my every moment of every day. We can keep the book of Acts and, uh, and tear some pages out and go, well, well, that's not for me today or I, I don't want to go near that. We can look at it as a fairy tale that, that one day the church will be this when Jesus comes or when he's nearly coming. Given the, a look of that, this is like something we read about, preach about, but never experience. 
No, I don't believe that's what it's about. I believe the church is, is, is powerful and a dynamic on the earth of God's expression of love and grace to anyone that would come in its pathway. And without the power of the Holy Spirit, we will look good, sound good, but we will be powerless. And I don't believe our world needs a powerless church. I believe the world deserves a church that is pressing into God. It's okay if we're not seeing it. It's okay if we're not seeing it and it moves us to get before God and say, God, I want to see what they see and I want to go as they went. I want to do as they did and I can't do it without the Holy Spirit so we need more. It's okay if we're not seeing it. Well, it's not okay is that if, if we deny it or come up with a belief system within ourselves or believe a belief system that it's not for today. It would be like having a powerful motor car. All of the components, components are there. The best wheels, the best engine, the best body parts, the best doors, windows, radio system, GPS system, the best car color, the best seats, the best gadgets. It would be like having all of that, but having no diesel to get anywhere. That it would look good and, and smell good and you put on the radio and it would sound good, but without something in the, going into the engine to make it get to its destination, all there is is something to be looked at. 30 years ago, I preached a sermon called The Word of God, Acts chapter 2. And I used this illustration 30 years ago, and I came back to that the church of God is like an old steam train. And that when the Holy Spirit comes in its power, like the steam train, that when they put the coal in to the, into the fire to, to make the steam get to, it's going to go and move the pistons of the engine or they'd let out the valve and it would go choo-choo. Yeah? So it was directed to one place. It would either give a power to get to its destination and when the power went to the engine, the train was literally unstoppable. Or it could go to the escape valve and it would make a lot of noise. I believe the book of Acts is saying that we're not just something to be making a lot of noise. We're well, someone to be reckoned with in this world as the church of Jesus Christ that is powerful. That God wants to empower the church that we become unstoppable. Whether it's the gates of hell coming against us or life circumstances coming against us. That there's something else, someone outside of us empowering us to be able to get through it. Amen? That we don't. The church for years, since, since the Reformation even. The church is great at proclamation. Of the gospel, and we've been good at it, and it's right. But the Bible teaches it's not just about proclamation, there's a proclamation that is followed by a demonstration. And if we settle just for the proclamation without the demonstration, we're giving up on what the book of Acts is telling us this is about. Paul says, I don't come to you with eloquent words, I come to you with a demonstration. Of the Holy Spirit. He could have come in with just eloquent words. He could have come in with, with the greatest theological sermon and discussion and argument that he could ever bring. But he didn't settle for that. How great that is to convince someone intellectually. But he says, but there's also a demonstration of the Holy Spirit that is there for us. Amen. But this morning, I want to look at Acts chapter 12. I don't really put titles on sermons. I leave that to mouths and other people. But I want to call this one the glory and the glory. Because the book of Acts is full of the both of them. 
the glory and the glory. Verse 1 of 12, chapter 12. It was about this time, talking about the glory, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intended, intended to persecute. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met the approval amongst the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handed him over to the guarded and to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. You talk about the glory of what they had seen prior to this. The disciples had seen Jesus the King crucified. There's nothing more gory than the cross. They've seen the glory in the Holy Spirit coming and filling them in the upper room. They've seen the glory of Stephen being stoned to death. They've seen the glory of the Holy Spirit coming again and filling the room. I'm glad the Bible, I'm glad the integrity of God in the Bible is not that he hides the gory bits. It's not that he goes, don't tell them that they're going to be persecuted, they won't follow me. Don't tell them that someone like Stephen is not going to suffer death and the church thrown into confusion and more persecution. This is why he gives us Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit will give you power in the glory days and in the gory days. His sustainability is for it all. Herod arrested him. Those who belong to the church persecute. It's a small word that could mean for us somebody slagged me. For them, they were being put to death, put into prison. Not like we feel prison here in Dublin where you can get a PlayStation and a television on your wall. This was like thrown into the dungeons. Whipped, beaten, and thrown in. And then we had James, the brother of John, one of the sons of thunder. Do you remember in through, through the Gospels? Here was James and John that left their nets behind to follow Jesus. It was James and John that were saying, Jesus, can we sit at your right hands? It was their mother that went to try and um, put the headlock on Jesus to give them a position above all the others. It was them that says, we'll be called down, fired upon that place that wouldn't accept us, Lord. It was them that was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was them that heard the Father say, this is my son in whom I well placed. It was this James, the brother of John, that was put to death with the sword. Luke reminds us of it in, in just one little line. James, the, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. The gory. Clement of Alexandria and Eusebius wrote down, they had traditions of writing down the stories of the martyrs that went to death. And they said about when James was being put to death here, what they done was they, they brought a, a, a charge against him. He trumped somebody up to say, he's done this and he said that. The guy that was you is when he's seen James in his patience and, his, and, and beholding his fate, 
the guy that accused him became a believer. You talk about the glory in the midst of the glory. So much so they wrote that the, 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 the accuser identified himself so much with James that the two of them were marched to their deaths. And James says, in a parting benediction, he says, peace be unto you, all who are going to kill him. You talk about the glory. It didn't end there. Get me Peter. I'm putting him into prison. They seized Peter. Can you imagine the church not knowing what was going to happen? Here was a strong leader, someone who had walked with Jesus, talking about James, someone who had seen the glory of God, now being put to death. Now they're taking Peter. Now they're after taking Peter. Now they're going to do the same with him. As soon as that Herod has his way after the Passover, he's going to be killed. Putting them into prison. Handing them over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Kept them in prison. Most likely going to meet the end that James had met. But the church prayed earnestly. The church went before God for him. The church put themselves in a position where they were standing in the gap. Can I encourage you and commend you for your praying? Can I encourage you to keep on praying? Can I encourage you to keep on seeking, keep on worshipping, keep on praising Him, keep on beholding Him, keep knocking at the door, keep asking, keep seeking, keep believing, keep receiving, keep fasting, keep declaring, keep pressing into God, keep reading, keep giving, keep trusting, keep standing in the gap, keep loving Him with all your heart and mind and strength. Press in when the church prays earnestly that even in the midst of the glory, the glory of God can be manifested. And even in the midst of the glory, you can experience the glory. But the church, the church's power is when we're on our knees. It's when we're seeking the heart of God and declaring the heart of God. Peter was in a, a glory situation, but the church was praying, reaching into glory. To try pull that glory down into the glory situation. The church was praying. When Lynn Drinkwater was getting prepared two weeks ago to go to be with the Lord. The church was praying. When the daughters, her daughters and son-in-laws and grandchildren and parents were grieving. The church was praying. Can I commend you for your praying? That when they were in the glory of grief. There was others reaching into the glory of God and saying God they can't. But we can Peter couldn't gather with the group of Christians that were, going to, that were praying for him. But they could gather. They could galvanize themselves in God and with one another and say, God, release them. When Mags and Andy, uh, when Mags and Marie lost their dad a couple of weeks ago, the church was praying. With Elizabeth in, 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 in hospital, tough times for the family, but the church is praying. The church is seeking God, standing in the gap. Seeking the heart of the Father. When Peter was in the glory, the church was reaching in to the glory. Pulling down comfort. Because the Bible says that out of the riches of Christ. How do we say it? That all of our needs are met from the glory that's in Christ Jesus. 
that they need comfort. Lord, we're reaching in that you'd reach my, or you would touch Mags and Andy and the baby with your comfort and your passion and your love and your comfort that would guard our minds and our hearts. The church was earnestly praying. The church was seeking God. We weren't, they weren't angry with God. They weren't pointing the finger. And even if they were, they said, I'm going to get before God so he can correct my heart. That's an amen. He wants to reach me all of our needs, according to Paul and Philippians, out of the glory that is in, the riches that's in his glory. And the church for Peter was reaching into that, that riches to pull down whatever was needed for Peter. So it says, he, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly seeking, praying to God for him. Then Herod, then the night before, I should come up there. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and lit, and, and a light shone in their cell. He struck, he struck Peter on the side and said, and woke him up, quick, get up, get up. Some things that God is saying to people in your life today, and he's saying to you this morning, remind you, come on, quick, get up and get on with it. Stop lying down, stop being laying down on it, stop procrastinating on it. Get up. Come on, quick, 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 come on, we have to move. When he got up, chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so, wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing was, and what was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading into the city. He opened up by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left and Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything that the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Everything. You talk about the glory of, 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 of angels turning up. You're talking about the glory of God, the need of Peter being met by an angel turning up and saying, we're busting our hair. There was a jailbreak happening that night that nobody was going to stop. The church was earnestly praying. They, who knows what they were praying. Maybe they were saying, Lord, will you just make sure Peter gets something good to eat? But they were seeking God and a moved angelic host into the situation. An angel turning up. The light shining all around the cell. Peter, come on. Come on, I'm moving you. I'm moving you. I'm moving you. I'm moving you. I prayed that we would know the striking of God's uh, ministering angels on our sides and our heads saying, come on, I'm moving you from this place of glory into glory or I'm moving you from this, this I'm moving you with, 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 with sustainable power even in the midst of your, of your glory. I'm going to do something in the midst. I need you to get up and the miracle, the glory of God that opened up, the, the put them prisoners, um, uh, guards asleep. They didn't even wake up. Chains fell off them. Doors opened up and people Peter sees incredible glory of God manifest in his midst. Even so much that he thought, I'm not seeing things because I'm not in chains anymore. Where's them guards that were around me? It's not just a dream that I, I am out of this situation. Maybe he thought, I'm going to my death. 
He's going to deal me in with the sword like he done James in with the sword. Maybe he prepared himself for the end, but God surprised him. Suddenly an angel, suddenly there was a change, suddenly this was not my end, suddenly this is not my life and only my life because God has a plan and a purpose. When the glory of God comes into a situation, nothing can stop it. We read on. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many people had gathered. We're praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it. Can you imagine Peter just after busting out here? They're after being praying. She doesn't even let him in. Honey, I'm on the run. They're looking after me like the least you could do is open the door and get me in out of sight. No, she just leaves him outside there because she was was overjoyed. She ran back. Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. you know there's people here God has showed you stuff and other people have said you're out of your mind God wants you to take back that dream, that word today now others this was leaders apostles saying to the servants those who are in authority, you're out of your mind it can't be Peter, it's probably his angel but it's not Peter he's in prison, remember they were probably after being stormed in heaven to get him out and then when he does get out, you don't even believe that God could have done it. Many of us are in them situations often. Some people have been told things by God and it sounded so outrageous to you. You thought you were out of your own minds. And I tell you, God speaks things that are beyond their minds. He speaks to us so that it's so beyond us that it's going to take him to fulfill it. It's so beyond us that he puts prayers and passions and dreams in our heart. That is like, that's crazy. How could I ever do that? Go there, finance that, get the people to even believe in that. And others have said to you, you're out of your mind. But God's saying to you this morning, no, you're weird now, your mind. Seek me. Story of a guy called David Grant. I think his name is David Grant. He was from a, brought up in the Dutch Reformed Church in America. He called it a much deformed church. But uh, as a six-year-old boy, he was in his room and he said God visited him. And uh, Jesus visited him and told him that he was going to travel around the world preaching the gospel and see people healed. Six years of age, his mammy and daddy, his mammy and his granny comes in. He has all his little soldiers and little um, teddy bears lined up and he's preaching to them. They opened the door and there's David preaching to them. And they go, what are you doing, son? And he says, Jesus came and just told me that I'm going to preach the gospel around the world and I'm going to see people healed. And, uh, and so I'm practicing. They thought he was after losing his mind. His story, you can look it up. I'll give you the proper name. I'm sure it's David. He, he, they get the pastor. The pastor takes his King James Bible and puts it over the kid's head and says, God has already spoken in this. He doesn't speak anymore. They brought him to a psychiatrist, diagnosed schizophrenic at their age because he heard a voice. You've lost your mind. He says he grew up and he said, oh, he's mad. So for the rest of my days, I started to act mad and be mad. His life got out of control. He was a policeman. And he was caught putting a gun in a villain's mouth to get information out of him. He said, oh, he's mad. 
Don't give a madman a gun and authority. And you give him a choice, you either resign or you're, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be kicked off. Ran away from God. Holy was mad. Pastor confirmed it. Christian psychologists or psychologists confirmed it. I forgot to say they were Christian. He tried to kill himself loads of times. He turned off uh, the big motorway onto the median to go across the other side. Now he's facing the traffic where he's going to be splattered. He ran out of diesel, ran out of gas, stopped in the middle of the median. Hilarious, hilarious testimony. I couldn't stop laughing. His granny is dying. The granny that was in the room. I seen him. We contact him somehow. We don't know where you are in the, in the world. But if you want to say goodbye to your granny, she's dying. He makes his way back. Granny's in the bed. A couple of minutes or whatever, she passes away. She comes back. She's gone for a couple of minutes. She comes back. <gasps> David, he won't let me go till I tell you that you weren't mad. That God did tell you that. That you'd go around the world and preach the gospel and see people healed. <gasps> he says, I told you it was hilarious, didn't I? Look, I'll tell you the thing. I, I, I couldn't stop laughing at this testimony. He said, you think that's enough to change any person? Still went down and was mad. He met a girl. We were shacked up together. Her mom was a Christian. And while they were shacked up, she was earnestly praying. That her daughter would encounter the living God. And she did. And she came back to David and says, she says, I'm a Christian now. You either got right with God or you're out here. He said, I'll go to church with you. But I'm not going to any of those churches where they speak in tongues and swing out chandeliers. <laughs> Do you remember? He's from the Dutch Deformed. That's his words. The much Deformed, he said. She brings him to the church Wednesday night. There was a missionary from that church that was going around raising funds. To, from, he wasn't from Spain, but he's a missionary from America to Spain. And he, he goes, he'd just be out in the, in the courtyards where, like, say, Grafton Street, dressed as a clown, this missionary, on a unicycle, juggling balls around, and when he gets attention, he shares his testimony. He was there that night in full regalia. Clown, balls, unicycle. And he comes in and he goes, this is crazy. He was looking for the, the speaking in tongues, chandelier people then. And while your man is giving his talk, juggling, something falls and he has to stop the, the clown. And he gets down and he picks up the balls and he says, there's a 26-year-old man here. Six years of age. God called you as a little boy. He says, you're going to preach the gospel around the world. He says, if you're here, stand up. David, stand It's amazing. You may have said you're off your head, you're out of your mind. That dream is too big. I'm going to tell you that God has sent you this morning. I put that dream in your heart. I have done something in you. And if you press into him, I guarantee it, just like he did, just like she's seen what they said she was mad that she's seen, which was Peter. Peter stands in front of her. And there's a day, I'm telling you, there's a day. I've dreamt dreams that I, I should have never spoke out loudly in, in my days, in my 30 years. When God would show me something I thought was going to happen tomorrow, I didn't know there was a 10-year due date on it. I didn't know it was going to happen in 20 or 30 years. How do you know these things when you're young in the Lord? And I'd spout them out and I'd make myself look like a to myself. I don't know anyone else to talk, but I know what I thought about myself. I said that would happen and it didn't happen. 
And then God starts to make it happen 10 years later, 20 years later, because it's only in them times that you're broken enough before God, that God has done enough work in your life that you're able to carry the dream, and the dream wouldn't kill you. It must be an angel. It must be his angel. The Jewish people believed that every person had a guardian angel. I believe that. But they also believed that that angel could morph into the person that they were there to guard. What do you think the Bible says about, you know, that some have entertained angels? Why? Because they look like people and strangers. Jesus says, when they were taking, putting the kids away from them, he said, you know what? Their angels see the Father's face. Daniel said, the angel came and says to Daniel, Gabriel came and says, when the prince of Persia came against you, he says, your angel, Michael, your angel, someone watching over you, someone is, that is put in charge of your life, or not in charge, but to protect you. Glory and the glory. Even in the midst of the glory, there's glory. And even in the midst of the glory, there can be glory. The glory comes, it doesn't matter if Herod or anyone else says something. When the glory comes, no matter what anyone says, no matter what situation there is, no matter who thinks they're controlling the situation, when the glory comes, everything comes into alignment with God's purposes, plans and will for your life and my life when the glory comes. Everything. When you read in the Bible, when the glory comes, in, in, in Chronicles, when, when Solomon is offering up the, the sacrifice in the new temple, when they, the priests were ministering in the presence of God, you can minister in the presence of God. You can minister in the, in the anointing of God. But when the glory comes, everyone bows down, everyone gets out of the way, because it's like God saying, I'll do this for myself, son. When the glory comes, it doesn't matter who said what over your life. Like Herod says, you're going to prison. When the glory comes, you're getting out of prison. When the glory comes, it doesn't matter how many guards is keeping you down. The odds are stacked in your favor. When the glory comes, it doesn't matter how many chains you're in. Everything submits. When the glory comes, it doesn't matter what's binding you. The glory loosens you. No matter how secure the prison the enemy has you in. No matter how many gates surround you. When the glory comes, everything opens. When the glory comes, it doesn't matter what man's plans are for your life. Everything changes. When the glory comes. So whether we're in the glory situation today or the gory situation, the greatest news I have for you, whether it's gory or glory, I want to tell you what the Bible says, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He changes not. Whether we're in the goriest of the goriest, he's still there. He's still by your side. He still allows you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. When it doesn't matter if you're in the gory, no matter what comes against you, what comes for you, he is the same. Listen to these in finishing. This uh, historian that I've been reading about, um, who, who wasn't a Christian, he wrote these things. His name is William Durant. He says, There is no greater drama in human record than the sight of a few Christians scorned, are oppressed by a succession of emperors, bearing all trials with a fierce tenacity, multiplying quietly, building order while the enemies generate chaos, fighting the sword with the word, brutality with hope, and at last defeating the strongest state that history has ever known. Caesar and Christ met in the arena. Christ won. No matter what the Roman emperor threw against the Christians, that the sustainable power of God in their lives 
Christ walked out the winner. Amen. Malcolm Muggeridge wrote, a British journalist, he says, we look back upon history and what do we see? Empires rising and falling, revolutions and counter-revolutions, wealth accumulated and wealth dispersed. Shakespeare has written of the rise and fall of great ones that ebb and flow with the moon. He says, I look back upon my fellow countrymen once upon a time a dominating, do, once upon a time dominating a quarter of the world, most of them convinced in the words of what is still a popular song that God had made Britain great and mighty, and we shall be mightier. I heard a crazed, cracked Austrian announce to the world that he'd establish a Reich that would last a thousand years. I seen an Italian clown say he was going to stop and restart the calendar with his own ascension to power. I heard a murderous Georgian ruffian, ruffian in the Kremlin acclaimed by the intellectual elite of the world and wiser than Solomon. He was wiser than Solomon. More humane than Marcus Aurelius. I've seen America wealthier in terms of military weaponry. More powerful than the rest of the world put together so that if the American people so desired, they could have outdone Caesar or Alexander, Alexander in the range and scale of their conquest. All in one lifetime, he says. All in one lifetime. All is gone. Gone with the wind. England, a part of a, of a tiny island off the coast of Europe, threatened with dismemberment and even bankruptcy. He says, Hitler and Mussolini dead, only remembered for infamy. Stalin, a forbidden name in the regime he helped found and dominate for three decades. America haunted by the fears of those precious fluids that keep their motorways roaring and the smog settling with troubled memories of, a disastrous, of disastrous war campaigns and the victory of the media as they change and charge the windmill of political upheaval. All in one lifetime. All in one lifetime. Gone with the wind. We're in the midst of it all, there's a figure who still stands. And his name is Jesus. And he changes. Amen. In the midst of all of the empires, all of the greatness of the world, they're gone. All gone. He says they're gone like the wind, but there's one who stands with those who believe in him. He still stands. He's still with you. Whether we're in a face of glory, a face of glory. Jesus is the same. Amen. Can we stand? Lord, here we are. And you know every one of our circumstances, every one of our situations. You know whether we're on the mountaintop or in the valley. You know whether we're casting the devil out or being chased down by the devil. You know, Lord, whether we're facing what they faced, whether we're in the upper room receiving what they received. I thank you with all my heart, Father, that you change it not. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. There's nothing I can do, Lord, that can never change who you are. There's nothing that I can say that can change who you are. You change it not in your character. I pray that you would minister to each one of us, O oh God. When I look at the book of Acts, 
You can be in glory on a Sunday and in glory on a Monday. You can be preaching one minute and dragged out and stoned in the book of Acts in space for a couple of hours. So we can put our lot into the glory or the glory. We put our lot into Jesus. And today, if you haven't, can I encourage you just to throw your lot in. Your sin, your brokenness, your pride, our arrogance, our rebellious hearts, our broken hearts, throw your lot in. He'll take it all. He'll give you a new heart. New life. He never promised us a rose garden. You can carry your fragrance. The one who's with you always. Into every situation. Pray this morning, Father. By the power of your Holy Spirit. That you would come and strengthen your church. Encourage your church here in Brentwood. Empower the church in Brentwood. Captivate our hearts in Brentwood. Send us out, Lord. As an army fills with the power of God into Bray and out from Bray, Lord God. Father, I ask this morning that you would send your angels, Mags and Andy, drink waters. A friend of mine, a good brother of the Lord, found dead yesterday. Send your angels to his family, Lord. Pray, Lord, the situations we don't know of, Lord, that doesn't, mightn't seem as grievous as all that stuff, Lord. But if it concerns us, Lord, you're in it. We just reach out. Can we just reach our hands up to him? Just reach our hands up. It's important. The Bible tells us to lift hands. It doesn't do that because it's just words to fill into space of a page. For reasons, everything is in that word. Moses stood on a mountain. When his hands were down, the army of Israel was being beaten. But when he put them up into glory, it was like he was pulling down a victory into air. God's will, God's plan, whatever that may be, his will is good and pleasing and perfect. We reach up to heaven looking with hands in glory and our feet in the muck of the earth. Hands, Lord, up before your throne. Our feet planted into circumstances and situations that needs heaven to come. And we say, heaven, come. Kingdom, come. Kingdom, come. On earth as it is in heaven, Lord. We lift up our hands, Lord, wherever we need this day. Lord, we say, kingdom come. Meet all of our needs according to your glorious riches today, Father, that we find in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We reach up every hand. Can you just, you reach up as high as you can. Now just reach up a little bit higher. Which is all can. Just, just put your hand back down like you're pulling it back into yourself. Save from you today all that we need. Put your hand on the shoulder of someone beside you. Do you know what? I was so thrilled. So encouraged. This church last Tuesday. 
Come your Wednesday morning and we'll pray. We need together to pray about situations. Someone said, I know before or in the middle of it, on my prayer walk, pray. It's like God, yet yeah, in the midst of the glory of people's lives and situations. God's saying, Come on, there's more. Galvanizes us to go out and walk and hear and see and talk to people, whatever you experience. Just bless you in the name of Jesus. Pray that, guys, on this Tuesday, the church pray earnestly together. I pray as you have your hands on the, uh, we have our hands on each other's shoulders. Pray that the Holy Spirit would infuse you right now. He would enthuse you right now. He would let you see that those things he told you that you were told couldn't work, whether you, you told yourself that or others told you, or if you heard voices in your head telling you that was crazy. I just release the peace that comes with every word of God and the faith that comes with every word spoken into our lives from God. And that you will hear over and over again God saying, with me all things are possible. I pray as we pray for one another that we will be filled afresh. In the great Acts chapter 13 or 15 it was. Loads of gory things and glory things happening. And they left that place, shaking the dust off their feet. But they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. We ask now, as we lay hands on each other, that each one of us would be filled with the Holy Spirit and with joy. And with joy.